Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Die As Cast podcast. This is our bonus behind the scenes episode. What we're going to do. Pardon me. That's a sound effect. Oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Do the sound effects because that's what we want. Because <laughs> we don't have our, our editor here. Yeah, to... and we're, we're, not be, we're not gonna be able to put music in because that's way too hard. So we are gonna be doing a rough edit, a rough cut, but I want everyone out there to think of this as you're seeing us live, except you're not seeing us and we're not live. But other than that, it's like seeing us live. <laughs> and other than being fundamentally different, it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same. It, it's basically that. And so uh, this is, springs from uh, some questions I've gotten uh, from people who do not play Dungeons and Dragons. So this is going to be a little bit about behind the scenes. It's going to be a little bit about how to play Dungeons and Dragons and why we do things. And it's going to be a little bit of explanation about how we ended up in this world, how we ended up in this adventure, and how Chisk ended up at the bottom of a pole, a tall pole. And if you haven't, if you don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to the episode. Yeah, you got to get some context. Yes. And those two voices are two of our top performers in the show. <laughs> two of the top four at the very oh, least. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> they are. Of uh, uh, all the performers we have in the show, these are definitely two of them. So. Um, we are going to talk just quickly. Uh, I, I'm sure I've mentioned this in one of the episodes. This is a this this breaks down the fight scene. So this is like the director's cut of a fight scene that happens in episodes two and three. Starts in two, ends up in three. We're going to be talking about skill checks. We're going to be talking about some of the mechanics, some of the dice rolls. So if you don't know what a d20 dice is we're going to be talking about what a d20 dice is we also have d6s d8s d12s we are fully stacked and diego's too and diego's oh boy. Hey. <laughs> also should we introduce ourselves yes. hey yeah no that's slick yeah, that was let's, a let's slick little i i'm kevin the dm uh we also have with us diego and that's me and go ahead. The two of you can introduce yourselves properly. <laughs> yeah, we're adults. We could do this. We could, yeah. <laughs> uh, debatable. Um, I'm Diego. I play Chisk uh, here on the Diaz Cast podcast. And I am Madeline, and I play Maeve uh, here on the Diaz Cast podcast. And yes, we are missing Griffin, who is our Gideon Sweets. Yes. And so each of the players, just to give you the, the most basics, each of our players have created a character and that character has certain attributes. So they have various physical skills, physical attributes. They have strength, intelligence, wisdom, dexterity, constitution, and charisma. These have been randomly generated or more or less randomly generated. And that gives them certain advantages and disadvantages. And what you'll hear, what we talk about tonight is for example, Maeve, Madeline's character, has a lack of strength. She has average strength, so she gets no bonuses when she is trying to do something that requires her strength. Whereas Diego's character, Chisk, has above average strength, so he gets bonuses. What he makes up for, though, is that he's not particularly dexterous, and that not at all. 
hurts him in a uh, literal sense. Whereas <laughs> Maeve, I believe Maeve has above average dexterity. Uh, Maeve only has a plus two to dexterity. So she's okay. That's she's not great. Above average. That's a, Yeah, she's above average. If she was in school, if you were in school with her, she would be the one that did well in the gymnastics class. As, yeah. as, she would get silver. She yeah, would get silver. Absolutely a silver winner. For right. Yeah. Which is really Canadian gold, right? That's, <laughs> that's as, as good as you could hope for. Uh, uh, the. Uh, with the characters, as we go through the story, we use dice to create the ability to succeed or fail. This adds an element of randomness, which adds all sorts of interest and often hilarity to the story. And it also means that uh, nothing is completely within anyone's control, which again duplicates real life best laid plans of rats and men. Rats. Uh, uh, hey! Oh, <laughs> good callback. Go back and listen to the episodes. You'll you you'll know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're going to start. Uh, this adventure is based on Cat and Mouse, which is a Kobold Press adventure based in a different city with different characters and a slightly different plot. So mm. I, as the DM, have adapted it to our current situation to the to the story and the setting that we have created. And I have tweaked the characters to fit much more nicely into our world. However, the original adventure is, is uh, Cobalt Press's creation. Uh, if you are considering DMing, then do not over prep any of your adventures because the players mm -hmm. will not do it the way you think they should. They will get in the way, they will screw things up, and they will spend far too long talking to somebody you thought was a toss-away character, forcing you to take elaborate notes so that your son doesn't rag at you about <laughs> the names of some character. Like, who cares? Uh, sorry, was that was that out loud? Uh, indeed very much we were all there for it i think no, i think revan just though. texted me saying did my dad say my name just now or... <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> every time yeah a, a griffin gets his wings um <laughs> the this particular like i said this just to give you a little more background if you haven't heard the episode they the three characters are investigating an alchemist now the alchemist has this very strange trailer he has it has a, a metal wagon base but it also cranks up to a second level which is his i might say orders. erect up into ah. the sky there we go yeah <laughs> he has erected his Ooh. odd tent trailer with its three levels of tents so there is a tent above his main trailer, which is his sleeping. And then there is a second tent higher in the sky. How high in the sky, Chisk? 40 feet in the sky. Too this high. This is his laboratory. And these three are trying to investigate. Uh, the, the fellow's name is Heath. He is not a clean fellow. He is an alchemist. He is wrapped up in chemicals and and... Uh, it turns out fluoride because he has really good teeth. But aside from <laughs> that, he's not uh, the most winning of, of people. So the team have uh, come up across and they've decided to climb up and investigate. 
Now, Griffin's character is a rogue character. That means he is specialized in dexterity. Think of him as, well, actually, he's a swashbuckler. So think of him mm -hmm. like Errol Flynn or, or Johnny Depp, kind of a pirate running mm -hmm. along narrow, uh, you know, beams and, and up masts and that kind of stuff. So climbing up things is more or less his specialty. He tries to do it with panache and style. <laughs> so we're going to, I'm going to be going through chunks of the episodes. So we're going to be stopping and starting things. And uh, uh, for you guys, if you hear things you want to comment on, feel free. We'll stop and you guys can make the comments. Otherwise, we will stop in bits and pieces. So hang on to your butts. Here we go. I'll, I'll squeak my way up there and then I'll drop a rope. Okay. Roll me that acrobatics check again. So this will jump right into this. He has decided he wants to climb the tent pole to climb up to the second level of this tent. So I've said to him, roll your acrobatics check. So acrobatics is one of the skills that he, well, that all of them have innately. Some are better mm -hmm. at it, some are worse at it. But since he is climbing, the most relevant skill I can choose for him to check is an acrobatics, which is based on his dexterity, which is, again, a stat that you generate separately. So he, when I say roll the acrobatics, he is rolling a 20-sided dice, and then he is adding his bonus or subtracting his penalty from that number. I have assigned a, a difficulty number. So in this case, the difficulty is 12. So he has to roll better than 12 to be able to climb up the pole. That's all? I had to roll better than that 12? Was... Oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Ay, ay, ay. One of the, I think one of the interesting things about a player is that you don't know what this DC is most of the time, the, the difficulty class is. So right. you're just rolling blindly and hope the higher the number, the better, obviously. But Yes. And the number, uh, the difficulty class is assigned based on what seems reasonable to the dungeon master. So if he was trying to climb up a smooth wall, it would be a much higher difficulty class than if he's trying to climb up a ladder. In this particular case, it's designed to be climbed because it is his it is the owner's access to his next level, so it is relatively easy. 12 is not super easy, but it's relatively easy. Sorry. These DC checks also or difficulty checks also go from generally like 1 to 20, but they can be higher. Um, usually when your characters are higher level and, and doing harder things, they could even be like 25 or 30. Right, which is very hard to do on a, on a dice that goes from 1 mm -hmm. to 20. So, But if you're high level, sometimes you get bonuses of like mm -hmm. plus 12 to your dice. You right. know? If you're really you know, pushing into your skills. That's right. So the, the difficulty check is, again, something he won't know about. He will know only if he succeeds or fails at it. Now, obviously, if they are continuing to climb up and down the pole, they eventually figure it out, which uh, we actually spent a lot of the third episodes going up and down the pole. <laughs> and it, 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 as soon as I got to the top, they were like, okay, we're going back down. I was like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Gideon, Griffin's character, has had to climb the pole. He rolled, I believe he said an 18. Let me just double check that. Actually, just go back. I'll, I'll squeak my way up there, and then I'll drop a rope. Okay, roll me that acrobatics check again. With advantage, right? Because you said it was like a ladder. 
I, sure. <laughs> I cannot believe we are breaking um, this. Should we talk so about exciting. advantage? Pretty short, simple explanation. Uh, advantage just means you roll 2d20s and take the highest number. That's Yeah, so you have twice as good a chance, really, of succeeding because it is super simple. So yeah. it, it improves the equality or the, uh, the chance of doing it. Also, by him dropping a rope, as he mentioned, what he's doing is he's providing advantage for his teammates who aren't as good a climbers. <laughs> I.E. Chisk. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what we're going to see is that even though you have advantage and it's a relatively low thing, that doesn't mean that you automatically succeed. And it doesn't mean there's not consequences for fail. And quickly, the opposite of advantage can also happen where you have disadvantage. You roll 2d20s and you take the lowest, which usually sucks. Usually hear. sucks pretty yeah. bad. Right. But you can also succeed even though you're rolling at disadvantage. What it's doing is it's Correct. increasing or decreasing the chance of succeeding on a particular uh, activity that you're trying to do. And again, what they're, what they're doing with... Uh, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition is trying to sort of simul uh, streamline or simplify but still encompassing all the different random things that a character may want to do whether that's jump on something whether that's uh, pull pull uh, a rope up whether that's trying to convince somebody to do something or trying to, to deceive somebody into doing something else so they have a wide range of different skills, and the job of the DM is to figure out which of their skills is applicable in the specific situation. Don't really do anything at home, so this uh, uh, is... Nobody tell Big Willard. I got an 18. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the... Uh, yeah, so you could go there, and uh, you can lower a rope for these guys. Uh, let's do this in 20-foot segments. Maeve, you can roll yes. me a acrobatics with advantage nice okay it's not that bad it's a 16 a 16 is enough so you are now entering the first level i'm gonna just get you to roll me your stealth uh, <laughs> ah. all right so she has had no problem climbing up to the first level the problem, it's all the gymnastics it's all the gymnastics that her character had in her youth Those silver medals right <laughs> The problem is, or the additional condition, is that the owner of the tent is asleep in the tent currently. So, in addition to her rolling her acrobatics, she now also has to roll her stealth. So she has to climb, but she has to also climb quietly. It's a big ol' five. <laughs> I would like to... So, she did her stealth check and she rolled a five. Or in her optimistic way, she said a big old five. Listen, we try to look on the bright side, okay? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the bright side of every day. That's right. So a five is not very stealthy since it's a five out of 20. And it actually added her bonus, some bonuses, I think. So she actually probably rolled lower than a five and then added some bonuses to get all the way up to five. However, what's happened is now the owner, Heath, has started to wake up. So she is by herself in the first level of this tent as the owner is waking up. Below her, his chisk rating to climb. Above her is Gideon, who has already climbed up. So she has to make a choice about what her next action is. Use my um, predatory charm on him. <gasps> oh! Something, something that non-D&D &D players might not know is that 
as a DM, Kevin has prepared, like he said, certain things, like the fact that he is sleeping in the tent. But what the dice do too is that it makes him react in in ways that he was not expecting. He might be prepared for us to pass all of this, you know, successfully, mm-hmm. and then we get some crappy rolls, and then he has to come up with ways in in which it makes it more difficult for us. That's right. And actually, as per the original plan that I had roughed out, or in this case, taken a published module and adapted, they would have come back in the morning. So this whole <laughs> oh, no, scenario was not supposed to happen. So the whole That's thing. what Jisk wanted to do. That's what I just wanted to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things often as a DM you can do is you can subtly drop hints when they suggest something that you think is is appropriate because that's what you've prepped but you can't dictate to them you can i mean technically you could dictate it to them but it then it's it sort of breaks the the reality because they really are free to do whatever they wanted and they could uh mave could technically technically have climbed up and immediately stuck her dagger in the guy or uh but i'm kind so I didn't do that. Right. I'm a good person. Yes, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I'm saying you could. Oh, uh, yeah, the, the option's always there. Yes. I mean, you could have uh, spent time to try to chop the post down and tip the whole thing over and kill several people. You could have completely ignored it and gone wandering through the city. So there are different things that, that well, there's innumerable number of things that characters can do. You can mm-hmm. coax them or you can coach them but you can't really force them sometimes i mean sometimes there is uh an aspect of force like if they are talking with somebody who has more authority than they do or if they've cut a deal with somebody then it does start to limit their limit their choices otherwise the whole story breaks down and again there are also limits within the world too like you can't do there are physics and things and rules that are within the world that you can't just break right and that's often uh, something that the new players struggle to, uh, because they feel like it's such a completely open world, they could do anything. They could, mm. you know, try to uh, uh, slap somebody's horse or wander off and steal a kid or... Uh, yeah, usually... we have these things called murder hobos, which a lot of new players kind of fall into the trap of doing with their characters. And it's super fun. But it's not very contingent for storytelling um, or, you know, having other players like you very much. Yeah, right. (laughs) Like there are consequences to your actions within D&D as well. Yes. And the consequences are essential because what you're doing is you're creating a a shared belief structure. You're you're creating a uh, individual reality. So if... With the characters not necessarily knowing. Now, of course, that always gets tweaked or changed or adapted because there is magic. There is, you know, there's uh, <laughs> demons and angels and, and sprites and fairies and things. So there is not, it's not completely, of course, realistic. But there has to be an internal built-in realism. Otherwise, the story is lost. And then it becomes, uh, then it becomes that much less engaging. So just to step back one step farther from that, the reason these characters are doing this stuff is not necessary to climb the pole. The pole isn't the point. The 
the the point is to start to build a story for each of them individually and as a group to create shared experiences all right uh so back to uh she has just crawled into his bedroom and woken him up and he is slowly starting to wake up and she uh Maeve that is is uh coming up she has an idea by the way uh for our players, these characters are all brand new, and they're all unusual. They're not the sort of usual because they come from the Midgard world, from Cobalt Press, rather than the, the conventional uh, Wizards of the Coast world. So the players are all still learning what their characters can do or remembering what they've read that their characters, their specific characters can do. So you are now entering the first level. I'm going to just get you to roll me your stealth. Oh, that's a big ol' five. I would like to use my predatory charm on him. Oh, your predatory oh. charm. All right. Yes. Tell us and those at home what that is. Okay, so as a dampier, um, as an action, I can magically beguile the mind of a creature I can see within 30 feet. Uh, for an hour, I have advantage on charisma checks made against him. Right, like it just gives you advantage on charisma checks yeah. and what are you saying to him it's the tooth fairy <laughs> here for perfect. your teeth your beautiful invisalign teeth hello <laughs> yeah for some reason festering heath had like excellent teeth uh in our canon i'm not really sure why <laughs> considering well, every other aspect of him is disgusting but his teeth were great <laughs> and um, so she what she did in that scenario is she had to come up with a plausible reason since she was trying to effectively deceive or or charm using her dampier skills plausible as a I was gonna... <laughs> well plausible tooth fairy is yeah if you had said you were a sergeant and he's been drafted in the army he would have had uh it would have been harder for you to convince him that but since he was yeah, okay. already asleep, the idea was that you were trying to convince him that he was still dreaming, or at least talking to somebody who might be in his dreams. Plus, you did that so charming voice. So how Aww, could he resist? So convincing. So convincing. <laughs> That's how the tooth fairy would sound if you had, Absolutely. You had an Eastern European tooth fairy, especially. <laughs> but you're going to roll a charm. <laughs> And with advantage, and if he believes you, he thinks he's still dreaming. How about that? Okay. Is that just charisma? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Holy shit, that's a nat 20. Oh, yeah! No. <laughs> All right. I hope I get a good price. And he falls face first back into his pillow. So, she oh, had a yes. chance of convincing him. So, she, again, she rolled the d20, and she got a natural 20. So that is obviously the highest number you can roll on a d20 dice. So she succeeded extra well. So you want that 20. You always oh, want that 20. You always want the 20. It makes so exciting when you get it. It's, that's right. And it's rare because obviously it's only going to happen 5% of the time. Because she had rolled so well, he didn't question it. He, he just went back to sleep. And again... All of us at that moment are improvising. Well, I, I mean, Maeve and the DM at that moment are <laughs> improvising. 
So she's making up a story and I'm trying to create what I believe is a reasonable reaction guided by the dice roll. However, it's always something to be celebrated. However, there's also rolling a natural one. One is called a critical success, the 20, and one is called, what is it, Chisk? I can't remember. A critical fail. Mm, too familiar. Oh, yes. So Maeve uh, made too much noise. She actually had her rings caught in the tent is what she was elaborating on. But yeah. she was able to charm Heath into thinking that she was supposed to be there. She was a part of his dreams. So then we skip. So Gideon has climbed up. Now Maeve is climbing up. And now we go to Chisk, our piney. Have we talked about what a piney is? No, I don't think we, that we've talked about vamp, a dampier either. All right. So let's just stick that in right this minute. A dampier is a half-human, half-vampire. So they have elements of vampirism, which she puts to good use later. But they are mortal. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Right. <laughs> I can go that charm was one of them, wasn't it? Yes. So uh, Maeve has abilities like her predatory charm where she can kind of beguile people. Um, she also um, has this dark thirst ability where she can feed on blood, but she does not need it to live, much like how humans don't need it to live. Well, we need it in our <laughs> bodies, but not our diets. Um, if you're eating blood, you should probably see a doctor because that's not normal. Anyway, a piney totally is. Uh, take it away, man. <laughs> I, I like how you tipped over into like a PSA. That's good. By the way, if you're drinking blood right now in real life, that's a problem. That's that is a problem. I'm here for the people. <laughs> Excellent. Um, a piney is a tree folk, essentially. So they, in this world, they are essentially, what are the, what are the ones in Lord of the Rings called? Treants. Treants. So they're kind of like that, but, uh, as they move away from their, from their forest and go into an adventuring lifestyle, they become more and more human. I think we've said, I think Chisk is pretty early into his adventuring to, to, start becoming human yet but right yeah so he is uh, has a very tree-like appearance he has uh bark like skin moss like hair that kind of stuff is that yeah definitely i i like to I, I think i still like to think of him as a bit grudish from guardians of the galaxy <laughs> right grudish grudish um, he also has some things that are beneficial to him, like Margrave within, um, which essentially give him advantage against against poison um, and things like that. I, I can't remember the rest of them off the top of my head, but right. Yeah. So he is less easily poisoned than many other types, many other races, species, because basically uh, the rationale would be, I imagine, because he has bark skin and. And he has sap, not blood, running through his veins. <laughs> and a maple hole. And yes. a maple hole. That maple is a hole. deep cut for later. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay, uh, so uh, have the piney roll me a uh, acrobatics. <laughs> oh, God. All right, here we go. Acrobatics or athletics? Uh, I, I guess you could use either one because you're just climbing a pole. So, 
In this example, there are two closely related skills, athletics and acrobatics. One uses strength, which Chisk has, and the other one uses dexterity, which Chisk is not as skilled at. So he is stronger than he is dexterous. So that's why Diego was hoping that I would say he could use his athletics and not force him to stick with acrobatics. Just for, for reference, my acrobatics bonus is a negative one. My athletics bonus is a plus four. Ooh. So right. within, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Right. So that in, in percentage terms, he's 20% more likely to succeed with athletics. And he is 5% more likely to fail with his. And again, I don't want to give everyone the impression that it's all about the math. Uh, no. we, we don't spend a lot of time doing calculations. These are done quickly and it happens quite easily and it becomes automatic to know whether you succeed or fail i love this game and i failed grade 12 math so you don't have to be good at math to play DD. you heard it here first there yeah. you go <laughs> the thing the thing that 5e has done so great is that it uses the mechanics of the game to enhance storytelling the mechanics of the game the math is like really simple you pop in and out you look at it and then you forget about it in the for the sake of storytelling and earlier versions of the game were more tactical war game kind of targeted so there was a lot more detail there was a lot more focus on uh well at least how i played there's lots more miniature focus uh, spacing grid maps those kinds of things whereas 5e yeah. is more of a storytelling tool all right now we had a cr critical success on on Maeve's part in charming the uh, Heath, the alchemist owner of the tent. But now let's look at what happens on the other side. Chis, can you provide us with an example? You have advantage. Here we go. Let's do this. No! <gasps> Dude, I cannot believe this. This is a double natural one right here. <laughs> With advantage? With advantage. No, no, no. This no. is insane. <laughs> I cannot. I, this is stupid. They landed side by side and they're just natural ones. Look at that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> feel, you feel Chisk sort of come up behind you. As you... All right. So he had advantage. Uh, he had twice the chance to climb successfully. He had a plus four bonus on his chances to climb. But he managed, because of the dice, through no fault of his own, even though he had to take the grief, uh, to rule two ones on two 20-siders. So he not only... It is impossible. Like, <laughs> apparently not. Uh. Right. So Diego can do the impossible, as he's right. proven yeah. time and again. And the... Let it be known. Uh, uh, so he has failed in the worst way. It, uh, if you've seen, like, uh, America's Funniest Home Accidents or that kind of thing, it's that <laughs> kind of... <laughs> Funniest home accidents. <laughs> funniest home videos. Yeah, it's it would be like that. So what we're trying to do here is duplicate that kind of thing. So he is doing the equivalent of stepping off the boat when it's not quite at the dock, kind of thing. <laughs> You're charming this guy, and you accidentally step on Chis's head, and you just so. Just I'll just get you to roll me. I guess it would be two six-siders because we're talking 20 feet. Oh, no. Oh, my God. 
All right. So every 10 feet you fall in Dungeons & Dragons, it does 1d6 damage. And we haven't talked about damage yet. Every mm. character has a certain amount of life measured as hit points. The tougher characters have more hit points. The weaker characters have less hit points. And by tougher I and weaker, I'm not implying... Um, uh, somebody who is we bookish. all have different strengths okay <laughs> yes <laughs> everyone yes. is special yes <laughs> that's right <laughs> so uh chisk is a, a a pretty durable character not only is he made of wood but he is also a a type of holy warrior so he himself is relatively tough mave is more delicate she is rocked by her uh, what what did we end up calling she is a she basically she is a sorceress so she focuses on spells Chisk also has spells given to him by his god but he is the second toughest kind of class of character so Chisk can take more damage than Maeve can which turned out to be an advantage in this particular scenario because he's just fallen <laughs> 20 feet and landed on his back on the top of the trailer can I say that as much as I, as a player, hate natural ones, mm -hmm. as as a as part of the story, they're really satisfying sometimes, as demonstrated in this scenario. Like it turned out to be like a really fun, cool moment. Yes, because yeah, of my absolute you have flub. To, you have to bounce back from like yeah, you know, like okay, now the worst thing just happened. How do I? What what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, you just gotta make it fun. And having that, uh, having those accidents makes the successes that much sweeter. So what mm -hmm. it does is it puts in stakes into the game, because it's possible for Chisk to knock himself out or potentially even die. Uh, so and and depending on how how badly he was hurt, sometimes he's revivable, sometimes he may not be revivable. So there is, there is definitely consequences to having bad luck, as he did in this case. So because he had fallen uh, 20 feet and the damage is 1d6, he I had him roll 2d6. Oh, yeah. And right. he came up with, I believe it was 5 damage. So it could have been as high as 12 or as low as 2. And a d6, by the way, is just a conventional dice, the regular dice you would see in Monopoly. Here's how Chesk dies. Oh, I don't even have my healing dice. Uh, that is five. So you take five points of damage as you land flat on your back on the ground again. You uh, are had your wind knocked out of you. You're like you're just a bit stunned as you're lying there at the, mm -hmm. at the base mm -hmm. of the... Now you're lying on top of the original trailer that served as a store during the day. Right? So you're you're not on the ground. You're at this trailer. And you're just lying there. So now, Maeve, you have the final 20 feet to climb up to the the lab at the top. Sweet. That's acrobatics? That is acrobatics. Amazing. That's uh, another 16. All right. So you shimmy up the second set of poles to find uh, the bear inside already. Can you both see in the dark? Yes, I can. What about our bear? I can out. You can just barely make her out because of the darkness of the place. So some of the characters have night vision or dark vision and some of them do not. 
And that, again, adds to the distinctiveness of the characters, as well as in a, a case like this, the storytelling aspects. So effectively, what's happened is one of the characters can see in this dark little laboratory and one of them cannot. And that, again, factors in to the uh, to the play. Can I? Does she have any scars or markings or tattoos or something that I? Oh, okay. So we jumped ahead. So what's happened is the uh, the two of them, Maeve and Gideon, have discovered that there is a rat folk female, rat folk woman, tied up in a crate and who looks a lot like the person who Gideon knows. Um, but they are instantly suspicious so cynical that they are worried about whether this actually is um uh henna who 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 she has said she has uh, promised that she is but they still don't believe it and i think this is i think this is madeline and griffin's cynicism i don't think it's maves and, <laughs> and gideon's Citizen. Right, I mean, Maeve is a pretty suspicious all. person. Like she's, <laughs> she's not exactly trusted. It's not like it turned out to be someone else or anything. <laughs> so, Gideon is trying to determine here if this is a if this is the woman he recognizes, the Rat Folk woman he knows. So he starts asking about characteristics. So he's basically in sort of looking at her very carefully. I know about. Hmm. Have you been? Uh, have you been close to her? All right. Then I'll get you to roll me a perception. You said they signed on a week ago. Yes, it was about a week ago. Okay. Uh, sorry. Perception. Hmm. So perception is another skill. It's not based on your dexterity or strength. It's based on your wisdom. So again, what he's trying to do is determine whether this person is the person they say they are. So he's looking for. Uh, his character would be looking for nuanced clues, reactions. Uh, it, it's trying to read body language, that kind of thing. And again, just to represent that, there is a difficulty that, that they can figure out it's the right person. They, When they roll the dice, if they roll high, they're pretty certain that they are right in, their, in, in what the DM has told them. If they roll low, they don't know whether the DM is telling them the truth or not. It's delicious. The ten. Far as you can tell, this looks like her. Using my Eldritch Sight, I can detect magic at will. Can I detect magic on her? Alright, so this is another thing. This is a skill that Maeve believed she had at that moment. I goofed it. Oopsie. <laughs> I thought I had two Eldritch Invocations and I only had one. <laughs> yes. I actually know because we were still... We I didn't even have any. Never mind. Oh, no. Yeah, we hadn't leveled up at the time. Uh, I thought right. I was getting ahead and doing the right thing. Yes. <laughs> no. So uh, what she's referring to is this is a skill that she had developed later in her character. She thought she had it at this point. I, as the DM, I'm going to go with I'm going to trust the characters to know their their characters. And also, in in the end, it's not a huge, it's not a story breaker. The fact that she made a mistake about that is just going to happen throughout the game. The DM is not going to know a particular skill or he's going to categorize it the wrong way. The player is going to make a mistake about what they can or cannot do. You don't, 
focus on that, you put focus on driving the story forward. If there's some major event that's changed, obviously it's a matter of degree. If there's a major event that's changed, then there may be things you have to sort of step back and uh, virtually sort of rewind. But overall, the plan is to, again, drive the story forward. Her and just see if she's like actually a, a normal person. She seems to be a normal person. Bindings were magical. Okay. Right. So I did tell her that the bindings were magical, which was a clue that she wasn't necessarily a normal person. And I never said that she was a normal person. I said that she seems to be. Burbage is Trixie. very important. Trixie. It's Trixie. Um, and we were able to untie those, no problem, though? Yeah. Okay, great. Can I, um, I do get to know what kind of magic it is. I would say abjuration. Great. Um All right, so this particular question, what kind of magic is it? It's like, oh my god, what kind of magic? Well, how many choices do I have? Uh, I, it's an enchantment. I have no idea. But there are different kinds of magic in the game, and all the spells are categorized as, I think, one of five different types, maybe four. I think there's more. And yeah. as part yeah. of her skills, effectively, she's what she's using is her skill to try to figure out what's going on. So she's looking for whatever clues she can find. Uh, the abjuration school of magic you can become actually a specialist in that you can become an abjurer you can become an enchanter there's all those different types of magic so that even as i'm saying it i realize starts to really tip in seriously into nerd world at that point i mean that's what wizards are wizards are the nerds of fantasy nerd. <laughs> right a uber nerd <laughs> yeah amazing thank you so uh can I do an insight check? I think I... Here's what I'm thinking. I think one of the two hennas that I have spoken yeah. to or I am speaking to is incorrect. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Or at least like a memory wipe or something. Can I do insight? Oh. All right. So I just want to stop at this moment and point out the amazing acting ability of the DM to be able to portray a character... Portray a character that the characters don't know, and then on top of that, nuance it so that they pick up subtle hints that the character is lying. It's, uh, it's really, it's really an unsung thing. So I'm just singing it a little bit right now. <laughs> this is the most I forget who the DM. I've ever oh done. yeah, I was the DM on this part. Man, sure. I'm not wise though. Damn. All right, here we go. You can do it. Four. Ay He's not wise. <laughs> no, smart, not wise. So he. Oh my god, I've creeped out. Yeah, okay. I don't believe you, Hannah. She says, I I don't know what to tell you. I I uh, I hired you, then it seemed like it was taking forever, so I, I came to find them, and uh, he got the drop on me. Hannah, I need you to be honest with me right now. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Are you the real Hannah or not? <laughs> That's right. If you're tricking us, you have to tell you us. You have to tell me if you're a cop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got me. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. No, she says, I am the one true henna. Henna, you tell me right now what we were eating at the bar. All right. So, again, the characters are, are very suspicious of this henna. Uh, and it, it turns out they were right to be suspicious because it's not henna. It's her evil twin sister, Henta. 
And that no, is evil is subjective. <laughs> it's yes, very right. true. Yeah, that's true. We'll just in go the on. eyes of Hannah, she was evil. But in the eyes of uh, in the eyes, <laughs> you're right. Forget that I said evil. It was her twin sister, <laughs> but she <laughs> was trying to trick. She was being evil, and that she was being dishonest with the the players at that point because she was trying. And 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 again, I don't know exactly what the characters are going to do, so I'm trying to play henta reasonably and i'm trying to remember what henta would know or would be able to puzzle out based on what the characters said as opposed to be able to lie perfectly which technically she could she would be able to do since i have all the knowledge so the idea there is again to uh, finesse or fine-tune the interaction so again we're driving the story forward we're creating a little bit of drama creating some conflict and we're also in the players generating a sense of discovery or accomplishment that has nothing to do with a dice roll. It's them using their actual brains to figure this stuff out. So Griffin pulled an amazing maneuver here by asking her what we had eaten at the pub where the before. actual Hannah had been. That's right. And they had had soup and we had played that out in one of the previous episodes. So, and there's no way, because this woman, the Henta, was captured, there was no way that she would know that, so she just took a guess. <laughs> okay. She says, you you were having drinks at the bar. Yeah, we also had food, Hannah. What kind of food did we have? Uh, sandwiches? Not too fucking slow. <laughs> now, yeah, I, I punch Hannah. So let's roll initiative. So they figure out that this is not Hannah. And they, their reaction is to hit Immediate her. violence. <laughs> Immediate <laughs> violence. So they are suspicious and they react like a sociopath and <laughs> go to kill. Uh, so, uh, and now the interesting thing about this for me at this point is they realize that this is not their friend, not the one they know, but they don't know she has a secret. Actually, I'll just tell you. The secret is that she is a were-rat. Now, the reason that's significant is that were-rats are uh, resistant to damage from non-magical weapons. And these three, being brand new in their world, don't have any magical weapons. No, no. Um, they have some spells, and that damage gets fully registered. But when they punch or stab or kick or hit with an arrow... They think they're doing this much damage and they're only doing half as much damage. And I'm not telling them that right off the top. I'm just letting it roll. Also, um, this is where we roll for initiative, right? Oh, yes. Good point. So when we get into combat, we create what is called initiative. And all that's doing is deciding who goes first, who is the fastest to react to some situation. Now, in this scenario, uh, Gideon got a surprise hit because he just said it. So he just hauled off and, and hit her. But once we get into initiative, then it comes down to, and again, it's rolling a 20-sided dice. You are adding your dexterity. Uh, there are classes that add different things, wisdom or intelligence or wizard level or various options and what that does is how quickly you react in combat 
However, after the first round where everybody's taken a turn, then we just play it out in order. And what that allows things, what that allows to happen, is that everybody gets a chance to uh, re well, act and react to things, and it also just. And again, this is this is an, an artificial situation because everything is happening all at once, but the mechanics of the game require you to each have an action. So it basically it goes into what it what, was, what they used to call that bullet time, or everything just slows right down. Matrix. Yeah, it slows down. And think of it as the as the matrix where you're dodging the bullets. Mm. All right. Got a six for Maeve. Now, as you can tell from Maeve's excited tone, she didn't do that well. She was only she only got rolled a six, which means she only rolled like a five or a four or something. And then she added her decks and she got a six. Now, everyone else is rolling a twenty sider, so they're act they're going to probably go ahead of her. Now, in this particular combat, Chisk is not involved because he's still lying forty feet below, in. <laughs> Yes. slowly trying to decide what to do with his life because uh, he's recovering from the from the fall and uh, it makes sense because if you've fallen 20 feet out of a tent tent flap <laughs> you wouldn't just jump right up and go well i think i'll try that again yeah i also don't even know that any combat is happening because i can't hear anything at this point that's right and that's one of the things we will check in later we'll check to see if he hears this is happening because it is happening literally four stories above his head also, something that I've discovered as a cleric is that it's not always beneficial as a cleric to roll high on initiative. Because as a cleric, you have all these utility spells that can aid and help in different ways that sometimes it's beneficial to go last in the in the turn. Yeah, right. So if one of your friends gets walloped, you can actually help them. Mm-hmm. Yes. As opposed to being just like, what do I do? I don't know. <laughs> So one of the cleric specialties, not their only, but one of the major ones, is that they can heal people. So they have a wide range of healing spells that they can offer. So what Diego is referring to there is if you see a friend go down, get hit hard right away, if you are slower to react, you can change your action from an attack to, I'm going to heal this person so they can continue to fight or so that they don't die or whatever reason so he's saying it's almost beneficial to sort of be able to step back and observe the action first before choosing your own reaction gideon got a 23 okay wow and uh diego you can have chisk roll me a perception to see if he see if he hears anything it's quite a ways away though well yeah give it a try yeah but i got, I got good perception nope i don't just kidding. That's a six. Claw at you with her hands. Oh, but she fumbles. <gasps> All right. Oh. So. All right. So uh, just as Chis got a critical fail when he was trying to climb that pole and had consequences, uh, one of the things that Henta, the were-rat, uh, did is she rolled a one when she was trying to attack Gideon. So uh, a fumble... Uh, we'll get into into that, but a fumble is effectively you aren't able to use your weapon at all. You've rolled a one on the twenty sided to see if you hit. So in this particular case, we have a random table that generates a negative random result. Oh, my fumble, fumble table! I've created that special fumble table, the D eight. I just have to plug it for some reason at that moment. I don't know why. 
I've just rolled uh, on that. She has uh, tried to scratch you, but she ended up scratching herself. Mass, <laughs> dork, Maeve, it is your turn. So these two are, are scrabbling around at each other. <laughs> I would like to try and, and grapple this henna. I just want to try to apprehend her. I just, I just want to talk. All right. So uh, Gideon, uh, Griffin's character, has slashed her with a sword. Maeve wants to try a more peaceful solution and wants to basically just subdue her, wants to hold her down so she can get more information. So she is grappling, which means she is literally using her strength to try to wrestle Henta to the ground without hurting her. And keep in mind, Maeve is not strong. She is 16 years old and probably like 5'3". Right. So. But she has high hopes. It doesn't always make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Hope Alone. It worked for Hope Alone guy. He was able to do a lot of it. (laughs) But I got a plus zero to strength, so we'll see how it goes. Okay. 17. 17 is pretty good. She tries to break free of the grapple. Oh, but she is unable to. So you take a good grip on her from behind, and she's like struggling now and and hissing. I also have something that I can do as part of an attack. I can bite as an unarmed strike against an incapacitated creature or one I have grappled. My bite deals one point of piercing damage, and if the creature has blood and isn't a construct or undead... I can feed from it. So you grapple her that you just can't resist because that neck is right there. You've got her up, <laughs> grab too close. You just sink your teeth into her neck. Go ahead. Okay, uh, it's one point piercing damage plus my charisma modifier, so four points of damage, uh, necrotic damage, if she's not undead. She's, she is not undead. Okay. She's Okay, I'm like so stuck on this thing <laughs> that she's not like a real person. <laughs> All right. So the interesting thing, one of the interesting things about that is, again, because she is half vampire, she has sort of half vampire skills. And she is literally the 16-year-old vampire sinking her 16-year-old half vampire fangs into this uh, creature, rat folk creature. Uh, the, the other thing about that is that she does necrotic damage, which is, is a type of magical damage. So she... So the were rat is actually taking full damage from that bite, even though she wouldn't take um, full damage from the bear folks bite, who's just strictly piercing damage. Again, I'm starting to sound like we're getting into the real nerd aspect of this stuff, but it is uh, it. This actually flows quickly as we're going. Do you guys have anything and you want to add around that? Maybe do you want to talk about necrotic damage? Madeline. <laughs> Sorry, I just went full character there. Uh, yeah, so necrotic damage, I guess, is, is one of the uh, ghouls of magic, if you will, like we touched on before. Um, this one kind of deals in the undead. So um, zombies and, and ghouls and stuff will often like deal necrotic damage. Um, there are necromancers in some D&D worlds that specifically specialize in in necrotic casting and it's basically just like plagues of death um so just think of like the scariest grim reaper guy you could imagine casting a spell and that's a pretty good starting point (laughs) for necromancy i think right so we have here is a 16 year old teenage evanescence grim reaper 
<laughs> Absolutely. Totally. With the heart of gold. With the heart of gold. <laughs> She'll still kill you, though. <laughs> yes. So it, uh, any, she could potentially have killed her, absolutely, in biting her, because she is draining her of some of her blood. So she is sweet, but she's still trying to hurt. <laughs> I don't need to regain. Oh, I can. We haven't spent any hit dice. Never mind. All right. Well, four points of piercing damage. Get in, you see. <laughs> you see this crazed dompier jump on the back of this of this rat folk and and grab her and, and pull her pull her arms back and then just takes a minute and then just decides to bite. Can you just finish and say, Ah, oh, I, I tried to grab her. She's ungrabbable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I am describing a lot of the action. Uh, it's because we are all playing what is called theater of the mind. So there's no visual per se. We can all see each other, but we can't obviously see what the characters are doing. So myself as the DM, I am describing what the next character sees so that they can make a reaction that seems reasonable. Each of the players, uh, especially as they get more skilled and experience, will also describe the their actions so that it becomes easier to visualize what's going on in the scene. This is um, this is obviously very important for an audio-based medium like a podcast. If you were playing live at a table, you would have a little miniature that would could well you potentially would have a little miniature sitting in front of you that would represent your character, which makes it then easier to track what's going on. But even in that case, the miniature is just obviously just a, a solid little inanimate object so you want to again build the story around it and have people describe what they're doing all right so uh we'll skip to the near the end of the fight there have been uh they have fallen basically gone down from the top level done flips there's been gymnastics there's one of the things that has come up is mate or or sorry <laughs> henta has turned into a rat so these guys now realize that they're dealing with a were rat or at least can suspect that um and now the rat is now stolen the magic item that the characters were in trying to investigate and is trying to flee it has fallen the last 20 feet, so it also has taken damage. Again, half as much damage as they would because it is a magical creature. Um, but with the three of them picking on it, uh, on her, she is now trying to get away. So we will jump to the end. Maeve has followed her down. Chisk has very laboriously climbed up and has now climbed back down. He has been hesitant to inflict damage because they are trying not to kill her. Um, uh, Maeve and Gideon have not had the same reservations about inflicting damage. So uh, this is, we are back at, this is still in the same combat rounds. It is now Maeve's turn and we leap into this. Okay. How far has this rat made it? Uh, she's only about 10 feet from the wagon. And she's now technically below me? She is, yep. Mm. I would like to try to leap on top of her. Oh, I think that's the perfect thing to do. <laughs> your stepfather, your adopted father would be so proud of you. This is such a vamp move. It's a very vamp move. 
It's vamp and damp. I uh, snap my uh, mesh fingerless gloves <laughs> and I leave. <laughs> I want to be in America. All right. What is that? We'll just do it as a, a roll to hit and you can use your dexterity. Huh. 19. Oh, oh no, sorry. Dirty those, 20. Dirty those, 20. Those reactions could go either way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like to keep you on your toes. (laughs) All right. So you just leap onto the back of this of this rat folk. Just roll me a six sider to see how much damage she takes. Don't die. Four. All right. So you hear bones crunch in her in her (gasps) shoulder, and she falls face first, straight down, unconscious into the dirt. Is she dead or just unconscious? She is below zero hit points. So that will, that ends the combat at that point because the last, well, in this case, only opponent has gone unconscious. From, from this point on, uh, well, you'll have to tune into the episode to see, see what happens. Their intention is not to kill this rat folk woman but to get more information from her they just had to defeat her and stop her from running away so things like Maeve making the choice to leap is not again not something that I am necessarily going to be prepped for or but it's uh, the system is designed to let them have that sort of freedom of action and we are improvising what they are, uh, are doing so from this point uh, the the will, the action will continue. They have the choice of they could kill this were rat woman. They could revive her. They could question her. They could pat down her body for any valuables and leave her in the street. They could do anything. Uh, That's a very Gideon thing to do, I think. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, each character will have a different suggestion or a different idea. And they will all naturally start to think of actions that are based on their view of their characters. As the whole game is played. Like, the whole game is us kind of thinking about what our characters will do in any certain situation. There's this thing called metagaming where (laughs) it's you in the situation that your character is in making decisions that you would make. And that's not... Generally, not very fun for anybody. Yeah. Uh, so much of the joy of D anD D is like just really jumping in there as your character and and suspending your disbelief. Right, and for a lot of brand new people, um, uh, the four of us tend to get into characters to the tune of voices and and attitudes and that kind of thing. For a lot of people, they will visualize their character without necessarily having to sort of do a full performance, and that. Uh, I know personally that I've had some new players that are hesitant to get into that. And I want to emphasize that that's not necessarily an essential part of the game. But by the same token, if you like doing that kind of stuff, this is a way for people to um, uh, dip their toe into trying storytelling and using voices and doing things like that. So, uh I think we'll hold it there for tonight. That ga- that hopefully gave you a good idea. It was a, again a breakdown of a of a fight that one of the fights that have happened in the episodes. There's going to be lots more. Uh, if you have any 
questions mm -hmm. about stuff, feel free to contact us. Uh, we are setting up a Die As Cast public Discord where we will have people uh, if you want to ask questions. Uh, we are looking at setting up a subreddit for, again, the Die As Cast. We'll get you those details. We'll announce them as they are available. We want to make sure that people are following us and are clear on the things we're doing. And we would love to hear from you. Hit us up. So, yes, feel free. Uh, uh, please subscribe. Like us on the various social medias. Rate us in iTunes and things. And I hope you've enjoyed something a little bit different. We'll see you again next week as we leap back into the story itself. Since Griff uh, is not here, can I do the plugs at the end? You absolutely can do the plugs. <laughs> yes. Is, is uh, it my we... turn on the Xbox? <laughs> can I play, Mom? <laughs> we want to say thank you to Cobalt Press for providing all of the cool stuff we play on. Uh, I don't know exactly what to say. I'm just coming up with it on the spot. Uh, <laughs> the Boy King of Idaho for the amazing music. Uh, Morgan Emter for designing our logo. Who else do we have to thank? Uh, the lovely people who are listening. Here. And uh, <laughs> thank you, everyone who provided something. You can. Yes. I'm pretty sure also our social handle is at the die as cast. That's right. So, yes. You can find you us on follow, Facebook and Twitter. And individually, uh, where can people find if they want to hear more from each of you? Where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Madeline H. Smith. Yes. Aha. <laughs> uh -huh. And on Instagram at Madeline Hunter Smith. Excellent. Diego? Uh, you can find me on Instagram as Diego Stredel, D I E G O S T R E D E L. And then on Twitter as D I I underscore Stredel. Excellent. And feel free to find more of me on uh, all sorts of things, but find me mostly on the Die As Cast podcast. Thank you, everybody. We will, hopefully you'll well, we'll, hopefully you'll hear us again next week. Um, and I hope everyone has an amazing week. Good night, everybody. <laughs>